Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. show features Tom LeBlanc, Executive Director at NSCA. Tom has supported the integration market since 2003. He was the Editorial Director of Commercial Integrator from 2010 to 2019 and held various roles at CE Pro before that. Throughout his career, he specialized in developing content to help integration firms improve their businesses. At NSCA, LeBlanc is focused on executing the visions of the NSCA Board of Directors and NSCA community by providing resources and spearheading events to strengthen members' business and networking opportunities. We live streamed this interview on social media on Friday, July 15, 2022 at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed the Business Leadership Conference and the upcoming Pivot to Profit conference in the fall. Tom's journey from working in journalism to landing in the AV industry and NSCA's strategy to help its members during the COVID pandemic and the current supply chain issues that is being faced throughout the country. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into this interview with Tom LeBlanc. Hey Tom, how are you? Great, Ron, and hey, it's great to be here, but also great to be working with One Firefly as a partner for NSCA. Oh man, I am I'm I'm honored as well. I'm, I'm glad that you guys would would have us. I know a couple of years ago I had talked to Chuck and uh, Chuck Wilson, and uh, anyone listening that maybe you can describe who is Chuck and 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 then we'll bring that to you and your role and responsibilities and. Uh, and yeah, maybe we'll start there. Yeah, well, Chuck's my colleague and my friend. Um, so Chuck ha- Chuck was executive director of NSCA for, um, for since the 90s. And I would, you know, he would not like this term, but um, he is most certainly an industry icon. And um, the great thing about him and the reason we're friends, we were friends before we were colleagues, is um, he's just such a great guy to ask questions to about the industry he used to run an integration company um and uh, after he did that he decided to volunteer his time to um to to make sure that nsca would be successful and valuable for other integrators running their integration companies and he did that for many years and he continues to do that he's now ceo of nsca we work side by side he's trying really hard to step into retirement. Um, I'm not sure if he has it in him, but, <laughs> but, um, but Chuck is a, uh, Chuck's great. He's a, he's a great friend and colleague. Awesome. Well, why don't you just for our audience sake, uh, what is NSCA and then what is your role as an executive director? What does that mean? So NSCA national systems contractors association, we're, we're a nonprofit trade association that supports the integration industry. So yes, the AV integration industry, but also the security integration industry, IT, uh, life safety. Um, so NSCA is a little bit different than a typical trade association in that we don't really get involved in 
product and technology stuff all that much, except for supporting integrators to make sure that the partners that they work with are supporting the channel and you know providing a good depth of solutions. We don't do um, technology training so much. Uh, we don't do um, trade shows. NSCA used to have a trade show years ago. Um, when NSCA shifted from working on a trade show, uh, what it did was it really zeroed in on what it does best, which is focus on helping integrators run their businesses better. So NSCA is a trade association that's purely focused on finding ways to help integrators run their businesses better. One of the ways we do that um, is we have a couple of conferences that a lot of people have probably heard of. Definitely um, the Business and Leadership Conference is an executive conference that we do every year. Um, and it's it's well known and it's great. It's um, you kind of ask people to check their technology at the door, so that they can go in there and they can focus on big picture thought leaders. We get we identify what are the biggest business obstacles and challenges and visions that are important to the NSCA community, and then we align them with speakers, usually from outside the industry that can help us to think a little bit bigger and connect the dots. It's a really great conference. Another I, I want to give you props, Tom. Uh, we joined in January uh, NSCA and your business, business leaders conference. I want to say, was it February? Yeah. February. Yeah. And, and so Jessica for my team and, and I went to that conference. I think it was the most polished, professional, well-run conference I've been to in the industry in 20 years. It was, great it was a great conference. I mean, kudos to you and, and the team. I know you have a, a big team and you guys, or you have a small team that works really hard. And uh, it was just, it was really well done. It was just, it was first class from beginning to end. Yeah, small but prolific is how we like to describe it. Um, so Chuck, Chuck is really the person who developed what you see when you go to business and leadership conference. You talk about it being really polished. We also have a great events planning team. Um, uh, Chuck, Chuck has done a really good job, I think because he used to be an integrator, of understanding why it would be worth it for somebody who's really busy running their integration company to take a couple days and travel to Dallas, or in some cases it's in Florida or Arizona, and, and why it would be worth their time. Um, and yeah, we're really proud of that conference. Uh, over on LinkedIn, we have uh, Winter Yu from Transparent LED Display uh, says, hi, Tom. So oh, that's nice. So just hello. Uh, yeah, hello. All right. So <laughs> there's the Business Leaders Conference. And that's, uh, is it typically always in, in February? Yeah, yeah. We, um, we, we've done it um, usually the, the very last week in February. Um, and, and so it, usually it starts at the end of February and then touches March at the end. So usually it's right around that time frame. Now, there was a really unique once in a lifetime golfing event that happened this year. Yeah. And, uh, but you're <laughs> saying it like that. No, it was very unique. I'm going to be telling this golfing story for probably the rest of my career. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll let you tell your version of the story. Well, you know how, um, you know, everything happens for a reason, Ron. Yes. Well, you know, you, you, when you go to Dallas in February, it's supposed to be because it's going to be nice weather and people are going to enjoy being outside playing golf. Maybe they're traveling from, you know, somewhere in the north um, and they want to enjoy the nice weather. Well, we got a 
a freak uh, ice storm for pretty much the entire time we were in Dallas um, during the business and leadership conference. The day before BLC, we typically do a NSCA Education Foundation fundraiser golf tournament. And um, boy, did it get rained out. Like, boy, did it get rained out. There was no chance anybody wanted to be outside. But uh, what we ended up doing, um, and this is a credit, well, it's a credit to the NSCA team for being able to be nimble, but it's also a credit to the membership and to the attendees for understanding, yeah, we're there to play golf, but we're really there to raise money for the Education Foundation and being willing to, instead of playing in a beautiful, beautiful golf course, um, transitioning to play at um, Top Golf, and you know, you know, deal with the wind and the cold, and and just make the most of it. And I think people had a lot of fun in the end. We we jumped in shuttles that were quickly arranged and headed over there, and I thought it was fun. What do you think? I, I thought it was very well organized, and I think the fact that it it is by far the coldest air temperature. I've ever uh, gone outside and hit golf balls in. It was in the it was in the twenties. Uh, but what happened is that all the folks that went huddled up so closely. We had really good conversations. <laughs> I met right. some people and probably uh, had conversations because we were all the icebreaker was how darn cold it was. Yeah, and uh, I I thought it was it was and. It was well done. You guys accommodated uh, the situation well, but the the speakers that you brought into that conference and the activities, uh, it it really was neat. I mean, you guys do something many don't. Is you went out and got first class speakers across a plethora of topics and categories that are relevant to the business operator. And I, I mean, I I'm new to this, so I'm giddy about. I was like, man, that was so good. I know you guys have been doing this for a long time, and that's you know that is what it's known for. But it was it was really neat. Uh, you mentioned there's the the other big conference, and yeah, uh, coming and up in September. Happening. Yeah, just in September coming up, so people can already sign up for it. The uh, Pivot to Profit event, so 2022 Pivot to Profit. That one will be. That's a smaller scale um, conference, so. BLC, you know, as you know, we had it out of four seasons and it's, um, you, we really do it up. It's a nice event for, you know, executive travelers. Uh, pivot to profit is more like, it's more like, let's get in there. You know, let's, let's put our heads down and let's focus. We do it at a Marriott, um, not too far from uh, the airport in Chicago. So it's easy to get in and get out, lots of flights. Um, so pivot to profit, the big difference between that and BLC is I mentioned how you check, you kind of check the integration business at the door when you go to BLC and you try to open up your mind and you know think big picture about what can be done with your company. Pivot to profit is very much about what you should be doing right now for your company. So we identify very specific um, business opportunities and new revenue opportunities and we build sessions around how integrators can, you know, go there and, and understand, you know, what's the next thing for my company and how do I take advantage of it? So the theme for this year, um, you know, we tried, we tried to build it around the fact that everything's so critical right now. You know, we're asking people to leave their offices for a couple of days and go to a conference. We want to make sure that they leave with a notebook full of not ideas, but like more like a playbook of things that I can do to take advantage of you know, what we're talking about. 
So we identified certain things like, like do you have a cyber re resiliency policy? Will you be able to go back to the office and you know, think about what you have right now in place and take steps to improve it? What are you doing to build a better identity as a company that provides service? So this industry has for so long been talking about that transition from product and project-based revenue models to more of a service revenue model. And that's fine, but do your customers understand the value that that offers them? Are you building a brand around that? Are you transitioning around that? Um, and Ron, I think you might be participating in a session around that. We are. I, I believe you uh, or Mike Abernathy and staff have invited us to participate in a I think I've facilitated a conversation with a number of, of folks on stage. Uh, Jessica on my team has the full itinerary. Actually, I'll have I'll ask her to, to message me here on Slack, and, and that way I can eloquently define that here for the audience. Oh, I, know, I can define it for you. Oh, so, give it to me. So give it to me. So basically, we're going to lean on you. You know, we're okay. so we we want folks to understand how to make that transition, not just from the business side, but also from the branding side. And, you know, we've got companies that are in the midst of that. And, you know, we're going to ask you questions about, you know, like, okay, well, well, what, what should a company be doing to, you know, make sure that, you know, the customers understand, you know, why have I made this, this shift? Why is it valuable? Why, why can you trust me as an organization that can provide ongoing service versus thinking of me as a contractor who's going to come in and provide the solution and walk away? So we're gonna we're gonna talk to you and others about um about the importance of making that transition not just from a business standpoint but from a branding standpoint. Yeah, to give a preamble on that, and I'm looking here at notes. Jessica is, is slacking me messages, so she says it's uh, me and a member of the team over at Supervox, uh, great marketers out of Minneapolis, and um, plus integrator. There'll be an integrator on the panel. Yeah, and it's going to be great. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. And what I find so often is that the businesses we work with are so busy being busy, they forget to stop and step out of the business and look at the business as an advisor. And and you could do that across all disciplines of business. <clears throat> and it sounds like you're looking at a lot of those disciplines at Pivot to Profit. But as it relates to marketing and branding, the the business really understanding who they are, what do they stand for? Why are they, what are their marketing differentiators? And what are they doing to then uh, in an organized, consistent way, tell that story across all their brand touch points? Yeah. And it's, it sounds obvious, anyone listening or watching to this conversation go, well, of course that's what you're supposed to do. But uh, a lot of these smaller businesses uh, in the, the integration space, um, they, they don't always do that. Or if they do that, they haven't maybe updated it or refreshed it and really right. taken a fresh look at who they are and what they stand for and or looked at, all right, we know who we are and what we stand for. We know why someone should engage with us, but then they haven't necessarily taken the time to define that across their website, across any marketing collateral, across the way they present their voice on social media or in their email outreach. And so it's just looking at that and, and that is going to be, uh, and so there have been a lot of internal meetings on that. There's a lot of moving parts here at one firefly, 
So I, I appreciate you, Tom, refreshing my memory on that particular conference and that particular discussion. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. It's an important one for that event. So the transition to, you know, more of a service-based model has been, you know, kind of a kind of a, a primary focus of Pivot to Profit since it launched before I was at NSCA. And originally when they launched it, this was a conference that was about pivoting to recurring revenue. Mm. It's evolved beyond that a little bit. Now it's a conference about pivoting to other new revenue opportunities. And in some cases, it's about pivoting to be able to overcome obstacles that prevent you from uh, you know, building revenue opportunities. I mentioned the cyber resilience. You know, Companies aren't gonna make a lot of money because, uh, because they have a good cyber resiliency um, strategy in place, but they're gonna protect themselves. And this is an escalating you know, need for integration companies. It's not always fun. It's not always about pursuing profits, but it's about doing the things that you need to do to you know, move your company forward. So that's what Pivot to Profit's all about. At a high level, a lot of businesses, and I'll say even a, a, a younger, um, I'm not willing to say I'm experienced, but I'll say less experienced version of myself would chase top line revenue. I got to sell more. I got to sell more. Or I got to have new product categories so that I can generate new revenue. And that is relevant and it's important. But of the equation that is to generate profit, a, a business's purpose is to be a, a profit generating enterprise, is that you you bring it in the top, but if you're losing it all on the bottom, well, then what do you have? You, the, the measurement, the net is what you need to be watching, which is profit. So I love the name profit in Pivot to Profit. Mm-hmm. And to your point, and you mentioned cybersecurity. My business just invested in cybersecurity. And so for our 15 years, we didn't have the right type of coverage and protection in place. And as a part of when you start to evaluate, well, how do you protect the fort? I always refer to the business as the fort. Like, how do you protect the fort? Well, sometimes you got to put, you know, defensive measures in place to protect the fort. You can't be all purely offense and out fighting battles because what if someone comes and attacks the fort and then then what do you have? So I think the idea of looking at operational efficiencies is the hard set of conversations that are often ignored in so many different environments, so many different organizations, so many different meetings. So pivot to profit, having that purpose, I think that's quite differentiated and, and smart. What, what are the logistics? What are the days, times again, locations? September 19th to 21st. The, co- the conference really kicks off on the 20th. The 19th, we do, um, we do a, um, you know, kind of like a community uh, event. Uh, this year, we're going to be focused on, you know, working with an organization that um, provides refurbished computers to, you know, folks in need, uh, kind of do a small part to, to help in the, the effort to, um, to bridge the digital divide. Um, but the conference really kicks off on the 20th and it's a, it's a two day conference. Like I said, we purposely put it near O'Hare so people can get in and out, you know, cause people might be able to, you know, get in even that morning if they need to and get out that afternoon um, at the end of the conference. So it's in uh, Chicago. Awesome. Tom, how, if you don't mind, let's go into your backstory. How did you land here as executive director? What's your What's your path been like, personally? Well, I, I've had a very strange path um, into the industry. So, 
when I got out of college, um, I had no um, I, I had no goal related to uh, working in a technology industry or anything like that. I was a journalist. Um, that's what I I went to school for. And when I got out of college, I worked for one of the the local Boston newspapers, uh, the Boston Herald, uh, which people from uh, Boston area know that's the more tabloid style of the two major Boston newspapers. Um, but that's where I got a job. And I, I worked for the sports department. So I wrote sports articles, not that I was covering the Red Sox or the Bruins or the Patriots or the Celtics. Um, I was writing about high school and college sports and having just an awesome time. I loved it. Um, so I, I'm very much a journalist by trade. Uh, I did get um, to the point where I realized that the lifestyle wasn't exactly what I wanted for a career. I didn't want to work nights and weekends all the time, which is what it takes to, you know, to be a beat writer in a sports department at a newspaper. And I started to get more excited about the other aspects, not just about writing, but about, you know, kind of building a narrative within a publication and and working on you know kind of the smaller uh, elements not just the article but you know the other elements that lead to audience engagement and i got really interested in magazines so what i ended up doing was i ended up continuing to work at the herald at night but i took a job uh at a, a magazine it was two magazines, a golf magazine and an outdoor sports magazine. Um, so I would go into Boston. I lived right outside of Boston. Uh, I would go into Boston in the morning and work all day at the magazines. And then I would walk across Boston's Chinatown to um, where the Boston Herald was back then. And I would work until about one o'clock in the morning, you know, wow. doing, doing the editing and writing for, you know, that sports department. And I, absolutely loved that i mean that was a lot of fun i mean it was it was i didn't have a lot going on you know a young kid i didn't have a lot of responsibilities outside of work i loved it it was so much fun but i did get burned out eventually <laughs> i just say how many hours just out of curiosity i've here at one firefly we have a lot of writers on staff and some of them are ex uh newspaper you know writers and they talk about some of their schedules what what was your your situation like at that stage in your career? I think I had to go into the magazine job at eight, um, and I worked until five. And the only thing that made sense would be for me to walk over to the Herald and start. But I don't think I had to start until seven. So I would you know maybe you know grab dinner or something, but I'd be there very early, and then I would work until about one. So basically, it was a. Um, I know it was a long day. You can do five, five hours of sleep a day. It was that 18 hour days, 16 hour days. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't do it for that long, maybe a year or something like that. And then I decided to focus on the, um, the magazine position. Cause I, I decided that's, that's what I liked doing more. And I could see myself as, you know, some kind of a magazine editor. Um, so I, I, I stopped doing the Herald probably within a month or two of me stopping at the Herald, I got laid off from the magazine. Oh, so that, no. that was, that turned out to be not the best move. Oh, well, you couldn't predict the future. Yeah, both those magazines went under. So I am, um, so then I'm out of work, right? Um, I'm out of work for way too long. 
you know, several months, I think. And I can't get another job in journalism. And for some reason, I didn't want to go back to the Herald because I knew the reasons why I didn't want to work there um, in the first place or, or the reason I stepped away. So I tried really hard to find a job in journalism. I couldn't find one. So I ended up um, taking a job in the marketing department of um, a custom audio video retailer in the New England area called Tweeter. So oh. there are some people in the audience who might remember Tweeter. So especially if you were in the Northeast, you would remember it if you're, you know, like over 40. Um, but it did expand to other parts of the country. So, you know, there are some people that would identify with Tweeter or some of the Tweeter brands and know what I'm talking about. They bought all the sound advice stores in uh, Florida. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Bryn Mawr. In, uh, in the uh, Pennsylvania area, uh, I think United Audio in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were several acquisitions, uh, Hi-Fi Buys in the Atlanta area. Um, so I, that was probably my foray into you know, kind of the technology industry. So what I ended up doing was writing about audio and video solutions and automation solutions to a certain degree. They they were kind of like a custom integrator, but they were, you know, they were kind of a hybrid between a retailer and somebody that did a little bit of custom stuff, you know, for a customer. Um, so I did that for a while, writing copy, and I enjoyed it, um, but I didn't want to do it forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be in journalism. So, you know, things work out. It was actually after that sound advice acquisition. Um, so sound advice was well known for their great marketing department. So they basically took sound advice's marketing department when we acquired them and I'm out of a job again. Mm. So what I ended up doing is because of that experience, you know, writing about audio video and that sort of thing, I ended up landing a job at CE pro. So CE pro, um, I think people know now owned by Emerald is um is basically a a magazine a publication for the custom residential integration market so i wrote for c i was i came on as the managing editor for c pro and i i wrote a bunch of stuff i worked with uh, jason knott who's the longtime editor of ce pro and he gave me an opportunity to start to write about the companies you know, there was somebody else, uh, this gentleman, Bob Archer, who was great at writing about the products and the technology. I was more focused on writing about the businesses mm-hmm. that provided these, you know, solutions to customers. And I loved it. You know, Jason had developed this um, monthly feature that was often the cover story called the, the uh, CE profile. So what that was, was the writer, in many cases, me, would spend a lot of time talking to an integration company, you know, the leaders of an integration company about what makes their business unique and what are the unique challenges that they face and how do they overcome them? And I got to really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed, you know, learning not just about the businesses, but about the people who are staying up all night, worried about their business and worried about making sure that, you know, they keep their business up and running and, their employees who are counting on paychecks, their employees who probably have mortgages that rely mm-hmm. on their paychecks and just the weight of the world that you know so many of these integration company leaders 
you know, deal with. And it was also interesting because so many of those folks got into the industry because of their passion for technology. And then the business side was the thing that they maybe didn't enjoy, you know, spending as much time on. And I felt like what Jason had created with CE Pro and CE Pro taking a very business oriented um, focus with the publication, I thought that was exactly what that industry needed, you know, and I thought it was great. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to work on that. Now, what were the years? What, when did you join CE Pro approximately? 2003, I think. And I worked on it until um, 2010, maybe something mm -hmm. like that. And what happened in 2010 was um, for the, the previous couple of years on CE Pro, we had been writing a lot about like um, the light commercial market, we were calling it. So a lot of the residential integration companies were you know, trying to diversify and find new revenue opportunities. And a lot of them were doing things like, you know, put Navy in doctor's offices and digital signage in a local sports bar and stuff like that. Um, and we, we started to realize that so many of our readers were, were doing that, we should focus more on that light commercial market. So we started to do that for kind of the last couple of years that I was at CE Pro before we realized, well, you know what we're not doing is we're not providing a publication for the, the very focused commercial integration companies out there that represent a completely different industry than mm -hmm. the, the residential integration market. So we, we explored that market a little bit and decided that we could launch a publication. There were great publications already out there um, that served that market, but we thought there was a niche that we could we could um, we could we could help to fill um, with a more business focused publication. And what ended up happening was we launched Commercial Integrator. Mm. And Commercial Integrator, I would say, is even more business focused than CE Pro, largely because CE Pro, you know, they had Bob Archer and his, you know, like brilliant analysis of products and technology. Commercial Integrator was very focused just on the business side. We felt that there were other publications out there doing, you know, some of that other stuff for the commercial market. So I became the editor of Commercial Integrator and I even more so enjoyed the time that I got to spend, you know, learning about the companies in the commercial integration market. We launched something similar to those CE profiles that we did with CE Pro, we launched uh, CI profiles. I stole it from Jason. That's a good um, idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it was great deep dives into you know commercial integration companies, and I just really enjoyed it. And we also built a lot of other content around you know business challenges in the industry. Now, how did I understand what those business challenges were? Not ever having been an integrator. Well, I was lucky because very early in the time that we were working on Commercial Integrator, I developed a relationship with Chuck Wilson, who we mentioned mm. at the beginning. Um, so Chuck, you know, told me about NSCA, you know, as I was learning, you know, the about the associations and different groups in the commercial integration market. Um, and he also became a very reliable source because we were very aligned, right? So Commercial Integrator, is fo was focused and is focused on the business of the commercial integration market. NSCA is a trade association 
that's very focused on helping integrators run their businesses. So we were very aligned. So mm -hmm. whenever I had topics that I needed resources for, Chuck could either help me or point me in the right direction. And we talked an awful lot. Um, and it was over the course of, let's see, so I was the editor of Commercial Integrator from about 2000, late 2010 until um, I started to get a little burned out in uh, 2019. Um, and what I ended up doing was taking a job outside of the industry, running a different publication, completely different market. Mm. And boy, did I hate it. <laughs> it was, you know, sometimes it's just not the right fit for you. Yeah. And, and I knew that almost from the beginning, not from the interview. The interview process was great. I thought this is perfect. Yeah. But almost as soon as I became immersed in that company culture, I realized it's not what I want to do. And I'm not going to do it for very long. When you were um, feeling like that, what did that mean? Were you just feeling lost? Like, oh, man, did I mess up? Or like, what, do you remember during that phase? I don't remember feeling like I messed up. I mean, on the surface, I probably should have, right? Um, well, we have to try I, new things in life. So it's all about, in my, my opinion, mindset, you know, when you I, face I adversity. Knew I, I knew I was getting burned out at Commercial Integrator. I mean, and that wasn't going to change. And if that continued to happen, I wouldn't have continued to do a good job leading it. Um, and I think I, I think I knew that pretty well. I knew it was try to, it was time to try to do something different. And you know, I kind of felt like I had been with that company since 2003, and here we are in 2019. I kind of felt like maybe if I'm going to try something different, I should do it now. And you know, it didn't work didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think I felt the regret that I probably should have. Um, but one thing I did do was um, I had always had conversations with Chuck about, you know, Chuck kind of joking with me, like, when are you going to come work for NSCA? And I had always kind of laughed it off. But as I was sitting there, you know, like on the train going into that job that I didn't like, I would spend a lot of time thinking about what would I like to do? You know, what are some things that I would enjoy doing with my career? And what I did enjoy so much at Commercial Integrator was helping companies with their business. Mm -hmm. And I associated that with NSEA in many ways. So I ended up texting Chuck, you know, just kind of, you know, you know, we, we texted anyways. And, you know, he asked me how I like my job. And I said, I don't. And um, I said, you still want me to work for NSCA? And then here we are. So that's, I, that's, a, and that probably, I mean, that clearly fit smartly into Chuck's plan, right? In terms of him trying to take, take a step back. He's been at this a long time. Yeah. He ha he's been at the transition for a long time too. So I think, I, I forget now, but I think it's essentially an eight year um, transition plan that he developed with the NSCA board of directors, including a committee that we have on leadership development to try to help Chuck make that transition into retirement. And I think one of the final pieces was identifying somebody um, to be the executive director. And uh, yeah, I think that was part of the plan for sure. Um, it's, I didn't come on as executive director. I came on um, in a, a position called, I think, Director of Industry Outreach, which was largely a content development position. Um, and 
I enjoyed that quite a bit, but it also, you know, sort of led to the opportunity of executive director. I was, uh, you know, it's fun. I watched you from afar move through those positions and uh, you, you, you actually, you, you, zero expectations to remember this. You actually did a profile on me in 2010, probably <laughs> right before you left. Yeah, I guess uh, so. Yeah, it would have been, it, would, it was like maybe the summer of 2010 or so. Yeah, it was a feature on on Firefly Design Group, which was the predecessor company to One Firefly, and um, and that's when I I first met you over the phone, and uh, and then to watch your progression to commercial integrator and then to NSCA. So for us to finally be working together and with us as a, a member of the advisory council and to be able to talk a lot more often and see each other at events and and your passion to help businesses grow. I mean, that's, that's my passion. That's why I've been in this space for 22 years. Uh, it's just, it, it just feels right, you know, cause Absolutely. You, you can do so much with your time and energy and it's a choice, right? So you could be in the passenger seat or the driver's seat and I choose and you choose to be in the driver's seat to help others. And that just it feels good and it helps to align your personal skill set and passions um, with need and and running a business is terribly hard it's harder than most people uh, ever could fathom I've learned more running a business the last 15 years I've purchased more mistakes I've gained more gray hair because of the stress and anxiety and the the fears where you you know you, there are nights where you can't sleep or you wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night because of x y or z most people in society can't relate to that and i'm not saying it's good or bad i'm just saying those that are adventurous and choose to be leaders and entrepreneurs they need help and they need help from a to z across their business and it is rare in life that someone that is a great salesperson also is great at financial management or a person that's a great technologist or programmer or system designer is great at sales and marketing. Right. right? And, and, and you could keep running that. And so the fact that your organization is aligned around helping the businesses out there and, the, and these are, these are not small businesses. These are larger, sophisticated businesses that that still need help and coaching and peer mentorship from from others. I think it's it's really really neat. Uh, to jump into another observation that I had, and I'd love to get your take, is that uh, you know we we had we have COVID. I'd love to say past tense. I look forward to the day I can talk past tense. Currently, it's present yeah. tense. I was just reading this morning. Uh, it's July 15th, 2022. I just read this morning that uh, there are some new derivatives of the virus and the, the, the virus has evolved again. I think two major evolutions and they're now talking about it potentially being, you know, well, we've witnessed it this summer. It's been blowing up. And that's because when you don't kill it or stamp it out, it has the chance to evolve. So th there's this environment, business climate we're in. Now, in the residential space, you mentioned CE Pro Magazine. So the residential space, what has uh, happened for the last two years 
is that uh, the consumer, the, the, the middle to upper market, the luxury consumer has spent more on their home. And so the technology in the home has expanded. And so there's just a tremendous surge in activity, uh, which means residential integrators are generally doing more revenue, assuming they can get you know, supply chain issues aside. Uh, assuming they can get product, they're doing more revenue, more business than ever before. What is the commercial space? What is your orbit at NSCA witnessed the last two years? And then bring us to the present. What's the state right now? Yeah, so it, it's interesting because my time at NSCA coincides with the pandemic, you know, for the most part. I came on in January of 2020 and the pandemic hit, you know, really people started talking about it in March of 2020. So what I immediately witnessed was um, uh, integration companies kind of experiencing this enormous lull in demand and this big um, concern about being able to keep employees uh, on the team. Um, so NSCA kind of went into what we called a business continuity mode. So we were, and that's not for NSCA, that was for our members, you know, trying to provide resources, advice, and sometimes an ear uh, when it comes to uh, what they could do to kind of keep their business going, business continuity. And, and we did a lot of roundtables and that sort of thing. And we, you know, we um, issued a lot of, you know, like documents that might be helpful. Um, and we did that for a while. And that that seemed to be, you know, really useful. And what we experienced was, you know, seeing NSEA members really persevere and really battle, you know, through that, basically seeing their pipelines completely drain up or dry up. So that happened for a while. But then, you know, as the pandemic started to shift, it changed from commercial customers just simply not wanting to do anything to desperately needing to do stuff in order to get their businesses ready for that return to work, right? So, you know, from an audio, video and, and you know, communication side, being able to improve, you know, experiences, uh, improve collaboration, uh, facilitate remote workers, but also from a security and life safety side, there were big demands in terms of creating spacing and that sort of thing to get the offices returned to work. But here's the thing, right? So now the pipeline's starting to fill and all of a sudden, you know, the supply chain issue completely puts a wrench in those opportunities. So these companies are so um, dogged in their determination to get through you know, their pipelines drying up and to get back, you know, keep their employees employed and get back to business only to find that now they have these project opportunities, but there's like a product missing or there's a part missing or there's a thing that they can't get in order to, you know, to provide what they need for their customers. And they have to deal with this, you know, this tremendous challenge of having to communicate these delays to customers. And what we're finding now is, you know, we're, we're having so many conversations with companies about uh, what they're putting in their contracts in order to, you know, prepare to protect themselves for, you know, product availability challenges, force majeure language for, 
you know, when, uh, when there's a reason why a project just simply can't go on, having them uh, be legally prepared to exit that project, um, dealing with uh, supply chain challenges and, and talking to customers about better communication uh, with, their, with their customers, but also talking to their company and to the their customer facing employees to make sure that they're saying the right things to the customer and they're following through with the executive message. They're not just telling the customers what they want to hear because that's gonna result in everybody being disappointed. So working really closely with customers on supply chain issues and, and just getting through the pandemic in general, a couple other things related to the pandemic. You know, we worked very closely, especially at the beginning on, you know, making sure companies know how to uh, apply for PPP loans and, you know, do what they can to protect their business. And then it shifted to, you know, working with companies on uh, employee retention credits, um, which um, we are shocked at how many integration companies are eligible for employee retention credits. I think it really comes down to like if a company had to do something to dramatically shift their way of doing business in order to keep people employed and and keep the business up and running and who didn't, right? You 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 might very well be a candidate for an employee retention credit. I'm going to so, make a note on that. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> so Actually, you know, you had mentioned, um, you know, one Firefly coming on board as a, a member advisory council member. So one of the things that NSCA does is we try to assemble a team of companies that can help with different aspects of running an integration business. You know, I, I mentioned we have a small but prolific team. We don't have the expertise when it comes to marketing that one Firefly does. And we don't have the expertise when it comes to um, legal documentation as a partner called Alliant Group does. So when it comes to like working with companies with an employee retention credit opportunity or something like that, NSCA is in a position where we can point members mm. to somebody that we trust, somebody that we've vetted and trusted that can help them with that aspect of the business. We've been pointing members to Alliant Group to help them you know, figure out if they qualify for something like the employee retention credit. Um, We've got a great group, and One Firefly is is a great example of a company that we've brought in because they offer expertise that's available to our members that we don't have in house, and we think integration companies need it. So, you know, that's that's we have the member advisory council, which you're a part of, and we have what's called business accelerators, another group that you know brings in that helps us to create a well-rounded team. You had mentioned, um, you know, you know sometimes a person or a company might be great at one skill but lack another i always think of it like you know you're not going to bring in like a seven foot center who's also great at shooting threes if you find that person you hang on to them because that's 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 rare of course now everybody shoots threes so the example's <laughs> not as good but but you know with nsea we don't think that we're experts in all these different um, areas where we have this team of, of uh, member advisory council members and business accelerators. So we vet companies that we trust to work with our members and we bring them in to provide those solutions. And we, we thank you for helping us to do that. No, it's, it's an honor. And we've been meeting so many members, you know, we, we, one Firefly have been doing more and more business 
we started residential and then for the last 10 years, a lot of residential and light commercial. And then about two years ago, really around the pandemic, we started uh, just through life and experiences getting exposed and then ultimately signing up and doing business with more and more pure commercial operations, uh, you know, in, in various uh, spaces, security, life safety, automation, uh, you, you, you know, you name it. It's what we've learned very quickly is the commercial space is it feels exponentially more diverse, exponentially more types of customers and stakeholders, so many more solutions and technologies. Um, again, it's just it's dramatically different than the residential, the pure residential, you know, luxury technology contractor space. The the commercial space is just from our perception, and now that we're working with you know dozens of companies around the country, around North America, and uh, hopefully soon to be hundreds of companies around North America, it's uh, we we are learning. My staff, I mean, we're now seventy people strong, and uh, all marketers supporting integration companies. Um, we're feeling that we're learning so much every day, and it's because you know we don't pretend to have all the answers. We're not that company, but we have methods and techniques. And when we lean in with our customers and in a collaborative approach, uh, connect their needs with the tools and solutions that we know have a high probability of making a difference for them, um, good things happen. And when things that are put into play don't work, we do less of it. And when things that put into play are gaining the traction that's desired by that business operator, then we generally lean and say, well, how do we do more of that? And it's just that, that collaborative approach. Marketing is not something that's static. It's not you go do X, Y, and Z, and magically all your outcomes happen. It's you do X, Y, and Z, and then you constantly evaluate and evolve, and maybe you need to kill X and add A to the equation or, you know, to continue that example, you just, you continue to modify things as necessary. But yeah, we're honored to be a part of NSCA. I did have a quick question on um, workforce. I'll call it workforce development, kind of the, the challenges around people, uh, hiring people, growing people, finding people. What's the current state from your perspective out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from being around the industry for so long that it, it's always been difficult for the integration, both the residential and commercial markets, um, you know, to bring in new talents. Um, it's all, you know, when you ask companies, what are your biggest business challenges? They always seem to say it's, it's finding, you know, new talent to help us with, you know, the opportunities that we have. And sometimes it's to find new talent, you know, to, to be that next generation of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been an issue with the industry for a long time, but I think it's gotten a lot worse during the pandemic. Uh, one of the reasons is you add in the element of escalating labor costs. So, you know, the job market is such that, you know, there's a lot of jumping around, unfortunately, you know, and um, a lot of, you know, skilled uh, technicians or installers, uh, programmers and that sort of thing are getting opportunities to jump to another company, you know, for higher pay or um, in some cases, higher positions. And it puts the company the the current employer in a tough spot because now you got to figure out like okay well i don't want to lose my top talent so you got to start paying more 
and then profitability becomes more of a challenge on on projects and sometimes you're having having to pay like stay bonuses to match like a signing bonus that somebody has on the table in order to keep them in house so these costs are escalating and meanwhile you know business is so critical right now so the profitability matters an awful lot um so what we're seeing at NSCA is we're just seeing you know companies really you know challenged right now more so than ever when it comes to workforce development and you know we really kind of point people toward our ignite program so the ignite program um well let me back up a little bit so the, the one of the reasons it's been hard to bring in people from outside the industry i think is i always describe the industry as being in a bubble mm -hmm. right so you and I know about the great career opportunities in this industry and the folks in the audience who are in this industry certainly know about it as well. But if you ask your neighbor or I've somebody that- Never heard of it. Yeah, they have no idea what the heck this integration market is or they have a different idea. My, my dad still thinks I sell light bulbs, so. Yeah, exactly, great example. <laughs> um, so it's really, I mean, how are you supposed to recruit people into this industry that they don't know about, right? Right. So um, that's kind of the reason why uh, NSCA launched our Ignite program. So the whole point of the Ignite program is to go outside of the normal places where recruiting is done and provide NSCA members who become ambassadors for the Ignite program and arm them with educational materials that allows them to go to these job fairs or colleges or technical high schools, what have you, and educate you know people about these opportunities and cast a wider net for the industry. So there's also an internship program that's available to NSCA members through the Ignite program that helps them to provide that next step. You know, after they do that, um, they cast that net in terms of educating people, then they can bring them in and get their foot in the door. And it's a great program because it's an internship that we've developed that's very industry specific and very hands-on. And we think does a better job of creating potential great team members than just having somebody, you know, like deliver the mail or whatever a typical intern does. So we're really proud of that Ignite program. But there's another element I want to quickly touch on, um, and that's the bubble that I mentioned. There must be something about the way that bubble is constructed or the way we get messages um, out about job opportunities within that bubble that leads to a lack of diversity mm -hmm. that is obviously a big problem for a lot of reasons. And from a workforce development standpoint, an industry that very much needs to cast a wide net and bring in all the most qualified and best people possible, we need to do a better job of you know, thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion when it comes to our workforce development plan. And NSCA, um, we have our NSCA DEI Action Council, which you know, we're, we're trying to come up with ideas to help the industry um, one of the things I'd like to mention is another uh, member advisory council member that's on the, 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 that group with One Firefly is a company called Living HR, which NSEA points NSEA members to, because if you think about a big company like a Deloitte or a Google or something like that, they most certainly have a chief diversity officer. Mm -hmm. And that chief diversity officer probably provides a system of checks and balances within the company to make sure that the way they're hiring, the way they're providing opportunities, the way they're creating equity leads not only to new diverse people coming into the organization, 
but make sure that they're providing an equitable path for folks to rise up and become leaders of companies and you know, create more diversity throughout company cultures. Um, most integration companies can't afford to hire a chief diversity officer. So that's why we brought on Living HR because they can kind of provide that on a more affordable contracted basis. So a lot of facets to the workforce development challenge, but um, it, it's an important focus for NSCA right now. I think that's nothing short of amazing. I, I think when you look across the the space, you look across, uh, I'll say all of the integrators that I know and that I work with and that I am aware of, there's no other way to say it than there's a lack of diversity in our industry. It's, um, I'll even call a spade a spade. It's, uh, it's an industry of Caucasian middle-aged males. <laughs> And so how do you, but yet that's not fair. It's a not fair comparison to society. And it's only going to change if work and energy are invested in figuring out how to change. And right. so I think that's the right thing. It's an awesome, I had no idea, by the way, I had no idea you were going to bring that up. There's discussions happening at One Firefly. Uh, I mean, we're, we, what do we hire? We hire marketers at, of different disciplines and we're having the same conversations, but we are having it internally at our business. And we're having it, how do we increase the diversity of the talent pool that we're hiring from? Because we do believe that a more diverse workplace means there's people with more diverse backgrounds and experiences, and we're gonna have better ideas if there's more ideas being put into the pot. We practice right. a meritocracy here at One Firefly, best ideas win. Well, we need great best ideas to be surfaced and, and critically discussed so that we can continue to advance as a business. And I believe what you believe that our industry at large needs that. So I, I think that's nothing short of, of fantastic. You're doing that and, and kudos to you uh, and all of your staff at, at NSCA that are making that happen and your volunteers on your committees that are working on that because I, I know yeah. it's, a, it's a team and an industry-wide effort to make it happen. Yeah, especially those volunteers who, you know, carve out time to work on this with uh, with NSCA. We appreciate that. Amen. Tom, we are we're we're at the hour here. Um, I thank you for coming in and joining me on on show 217. Uh, our audience that wants to get in touch with you directly or learn more about NSCA. This is your chance to do some handoffs here and then we'll drop these contacts down into the show notes and on uh, the notes on social media. All right. Well, our LinkedIn audience can most certainly find me on LinkedIn and also just go to the NSCA.org um, and you know, you'll find me there. And uh, I, I look forward to connecting with folks in the audience. Awesome. Tom, thanks for, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Ron. It was great being here and thanks so much for what One Firefly does. And we're, we're just getting started. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. 
Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.